First Chronicles chapter 12. And I'm going to give you a couple scriptures as a foundation this morning for what the Lord's given us. I know uh, when we had a lot of kids in here, it, it, it's easy for people to get distracted, but I just want to encourage you to, to be focused for the next few minutes because God's got some good things for you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> First Chronicles 12, and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord, that your word is anointed. Lord, that your word is so precious to us. And Father, we thank you today that as we become doers of the word, amen, become recipients of all your blessings, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. First Chronicles chapter 12. And let's look in um, verse 31. And of the half tribe of Manasseh, 18,000, which were expressed by name to come and make David king. And of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. The heads of them were 200 and all their brethren were at their commandment. Notice the Bible talks about this one group, the children, the children of Issachar. They were men that had understanding of the times. If there's ever a time that we need understanding of the times we live, it's right now. Hallelujah. And then look over in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. And let's look in verse 1. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. Oh, you hypocrites! You can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. So what's he saying? Well, when you go out and look at the weather, you look in the morning, you see it looks this way, you know it's going to be this way. If you look in the, to this direction, you see that it's going to be like this, you know, oh, it's going to be bad weather. But he says, you, you hypocrites, you, can, you cannot discern the signs of the times. So I believe that we also need to know, just like the sons of Issachar, the times, the seasons, we need to be able to discern the signs of the times that we're living in right now and know the days in which we live. The Bible tells us that it is high time to awake out of our sleep. One thing the believers have to be now more than ever is alert and ready. You know, much of the world is either one of two things. They're either spiritually dead or they're asleep. You know, I've said this before. You ever seen someone in a real deep sleep? You don't know if they're alive or not. I mean, I've done that before with people. And you look at them and they look like rigor mortis. And you come to, oh, no, he's alive. He's actually okay. But, I mean, you almost had to go check a pulse because... I mean, most, some people, they, you know because of the snoring and, and, and the noise they make. <laughs> Amen. And um, I know because my wife bumps me often. Hey. It's kind of like the three stooges. Wake up and go back to sleep. <laughs> that, that's what it feels like, you know. <laughs> Wake up. Go back to sleep. <laughs> But she doesn't even say anything. She just bumps me and just, that's the end of it. I already, I know how to take the cue. It means you, you've been snoring. Stop. Roll over. <laughs> but it's, it is high time to wake out of sleep. You know, the day we live in, people act like there is no God. It's very interesting. I was, my wife and I were listening to an interview last night of some of what we would call the global elite that, are wicked people, people that have no fear of God, that don't even believe in God. And that's, that's what we see. 
And the Bible says in the last days, men shall be lovers of their own selves. Blasphemers, proud, all these different things. You know, the Bible says that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. None so foolish as those that don't even believe in God. And, you know, people say, well, you know, science is everything. But, you know, the Bible, true science proves and confirms the word of God. Paul talked about people that believed what he, and you see it at the end of one of his epistles, he calls it this, science falsely so-called. What's he talking about? He's talking about a false science, but true science actually confirms what God has said all all along. And here's the thing. In the final analysis, God gets all the glory. God gets all the praise. Why? Because he created us. He sustains us on an everyday moment. Hallelujah. So I want to share this morning, maybe something you've never heard before on a normal Sunday morning service, but I want to share along the lines of the spirit of Antichrist in the world today. The spirit of Antichrist in the world today. How many believe that there is a spirit of Antichrist in this world right now? Now, we're not just talking about the the Antichrist. We know that the Bible tells us that the Antichrist, that he's coming, he's going to try to exalt himself just like the devil did. See, he's going to come just like what, what Jesus rejected. What did Jesus reject from the devil? Hey, fall down and worship me. I'll give you all these kingdoms. Everything that Jesus rejected, this man, he's called the man of sin, the man of perdition. He's called the beast over in the book of Revelation as we're reading that. He, he will receive that. He will take the bait. And why? Because he wants to receive that kingdom. But how many know the devil doesn't share his kingdom with anybody? <clears throat> and so the Antichrist, though, the Bible t- says um, in the book of Revelation, the end of, I believe, 19, it says that you have, just like we have the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, you have an unholy Trinity. Now, sometimes we laugh and just say the unholy Trinity, me, myself, and I. But there's an un- another unholy Trinity, and it's, is the dragon, which is the devil. It's the beast, who is the, the um, uh, Antichrist. And we see the false prophet. Well, in the end of chapter 19, the Bible says that we're going to see the, the, the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet cast alive into the lake of fire. Then verse chapter 20 starts off talking about <clears throat> Satan himself, that he's, there's going to be an angel. Now, that's got to be a pretty impressive angel. It says he comes down with this big chain. And it says he put, he's got the key to the bottomless pit. That's got to be a pretty big, a big lock right there too. <laughs> you just think about this. I mean, this is something real. It's not just something that's an imaginary. And so then Satan will be bound all that time. So there is an antichrist. I believe that he's living and he's alive and well today. But here's the thing. People get caught up and they think, well, who is the Antichrist? I don't really care who it is. <clears throat> now, we know he's going to come out of the European nations. He's going to come from that part of the world. And the Bible tells us other characteristics of him. But you know what the Bible says? That he that, um, that the Bible says that the church is the restraining force. What's keeping him back right now? Us, he that lets, the, the word says in Thessalonians, let, he that lets, it's also another word for that is restraints. So we're the restraining force. And it says that until the church is gone, that man of sin cannot be revealed. So I don't care. Once we're gone, he can be revealed all he wants to. And, and you know, the Bible says there in Thessalonians, now, I believe that it can have this application, but sometimes I think people misapply it. It talks about that <clears throat> until the, um, talking about the man of sin be taken away, he can't until there be a falling away first. A lot of people use that just for the apostasy and people 
falling away from the Lord, but that word, when you look it up, is actually a departure, a falling away, a departure. He's not going to be revealed until there is a departure. Who is that departure? That's you and I, those that are born again, blood-washed saints. When we, when we depart, then the, the man of sin comes in. That's why I believe that the Bible teaches, I mean, a lot of people <clears throat> may not believe me, and, and that's fine. People have all kinds of views. But that's why I believe that we'll have the rapture of the church, then the Bible goes into the seven-year tribulation. <clears throat> and then three, three and a half years into it, it's really going to get bad. But you know what? I'm going to be feasting on manna from heaven at that time. The Bible calls it the marriage supper of the Lamb, and that's what we have to look forward to. Amen. You know, like I said, this is as bad as it gets for the believer. So just chill. Just, just There's nothing to worry about. So we know there is an Antichrist, but the Bible has spoken all throughout the Bible of the spirit of Antichrist. So I want you to understand, we're not just talking about the Antichrist, we're talking about the spirit of Antichrist. <clears throat> but, so what is Antichrist? Well, anti is against Christ. How many know Christ is not Jesus' last name? Like Will Betzel, like Craig Falstrom. It's not his last name. It's his title. Christ means anointed one and his anointing. So anytime you see that, translate that, meditate on that in your mind. Christ means the anointed one of his anointing. So what does that mean? Anything that's anti-anointing. Anti-anointed one. So we're talking about the spirit of Antichrist in the world today. For 2,000 years, we've seen its influence. Even in, and I want you to um, look at Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> We see that the, the enemy, and you know, I, we don't have time to get into this, but the, the Bible, when you look at Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, God created the earth, and it talks about it was without form and void. Well, God didn't create it without form and void. <clears throat> Something happened, and we, most Bible scholars will agree that that's the fall of Lucifer, and that's where we have... Um, demons and um, that are on the earth today. They're fallen spirits. They're, they're what we would call disembodied spirits. That's why they seek to, to, to um, always possess people. And if they can't find a person, they'll do just like they did with Jesus and say, send us into the swine. Why? Because they have their fullest range of motion if they can be in, inside of a host, inside of a person. <clears throat> but that's another story. But I want you to look what, what happened here in Genesis chapter 3. And this is, this is after Adam and Eve had sinned. The Bible says this in verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now he's talking to the serpent right now. And between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So what's he talking about? God is already prophesying there's going to come one. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. What was he talking about? This is the first prophecy and prophetic utterance about the coming Messiah. That, that I'm going to send a seed you're going you're gonna to bruise him, but he's going to crush your head. Yeah. Amen. How many know that, that Jesus did that very thing? Yeah. He paralyzed the works of the enemy. He crushed the works of the devil. <clears throat> and so ever since then, the devil's been afraid of the Christ because he, he knew God had announced it's coming. He's coming. But you know, God is a patient God because he'll speak something and 6,000 years later, it comes to pass. I mean, we say something, and two weeks later, man, well, you know. You know, sometimes as a, as a church, we've said things, and it's like, well, why does that come to pass? Because things take time sometimes. But God will say something, and 200 years, it comes to pass. <laughs> <clears throat> 
But over in Matthew chapter 2, we also see this. How many remember when, when we see Herod the king? And I'm just going to turn there. You can just listen. But Matthew chapter 2 in verse 16. This is after Herod had, had heard about this king that was coming. <clears throat> and we see that um, the wise men came. And remember, Herod said, hey, tell me where he is so I can go worship. How many know he was lying? He, he didn't want to go worship. He wanted to kill this baby who was Jesus. And so the Lord warns him through a dream and says, hey, you, you need to go this other way. And then notice down here in verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. And so what happened here? Herod killed all these children two years and under. Why? Because he knew that this anointed one was, was on the way. If you can kill the anointed one, then you can kill the anointing. If you can kill the anointed one, you can kill the anointing. And what is the one thing that the devil is afraid of more than any other thing? The anointing. You know why? <clears throat> what business is the devil in? Yeah, the thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10, 10. I have come, they might have life, and life, they may have it more abundantly. The Amplified says, to the full till it overflows. And so what the enemy is involved in, Isaiah 10, 27 says this. In that day, the burden shall be taken off from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. <clears throat> what is the... What, what is the yoke? Now, figuratively speaking, a yoke was a harness between two um, oxen to, to, you know, hold them together. But <clears throat> it's symbolic of burdens and oppressions. Any kind of burden. So what do we call the anointing from that verse? Sometimes we say it like this. The burden removing, yoke destroying power of God. So that's what the anointing is. Well, what business is the devil in? He's in the burden business. He's in the yoke business. And that's what's amazing. The, the, the devil can work on you for 20 years in an area. And then the anointing comes like that and just, just knocks that thing off of you. You know what it says? It says the yoke shall... A lot of times we say this, and it you know it even makes a good song too, that the anointing breaks the yoke. But anything that's broken can be put back together for the most part. But if it's destroyed, you, can't, you cannot put it back together. Amen. So understand that when, when God does something in your life and touches something in your life, that anointing destroys the yoke of bondage. Why? Because the devil, he wants to look for the pieces again. Just put up oh, here. Let's put it back together. And he wants to like offer it to you as a gift, saying, look, this was you. This was you for 20 years. But no, he destroys that yoke of bondage, and there's no remembrance of it. Hallelujah. We see that when Jesus was baptized of John, what happened? Now, the ministry of Jesus, the Bible says nothing about him. And, and sometimes you'll, you'll see different writings like the Apocrypha, Things like that that will say, well, you know, Jesus healed his, his little friend and he raised birds from the dead. Don't believe it. Why? Because the Bible says that was when he was anointed, that's when his ministry started. That's when miracles started. And it started when he was, he was in the River Jordan and the Bible said he came up out of there and a voice spoke. Uh-oh. He said, this is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. Uh-oh, then the devil's like, oh, there he is right there. Why? Because that anointing came down on him like a dove. 
Now, he's not a bird, but just like a dove is gentle. That's what we, he's he's a type of of being gentle and a gentleness. The Holy Spirit is not pushy. He's not forceful. You know, sometimes people, people like to say, well, you know, I'm sorry, brother. That's just my prophetic anointing, and I'm just, you're just rude and crude. It has nothing to do with your prophetic anointing that you're just so bold. Well, I'm just so bold, and people just don't know how to take me. No, you're just aloof. Amen. I mean, no, the gifts of the Spirit also have to be. Now, you can be bold and also be gentle at the same time. You can be bold and also pleasant at the same time. And so Jesus, here, when the, the Father God says, My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, at that moment, the enemy saw, okay, this is him. Because he, did, he wasn't sure. And so that's when Jesus was anointed from on high. So now the Bible says that Jesus was, was um, led of the Spirit into the wilderness. You know that the Lord will lead you sometimes and it's not going to into different things. And it's not always flowery and rose petals and, and just beds of ease. <clears throat> Why? Because... Sometimes, you know, as you go into a new place, there's an area where you can, you can grow in the midst of it. That doesn't mean God, you know, a lot of people use that and will say, well, you know, God, everyone's in a wilderness like every other day. But what, what the Bible says is he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness, and he was there for a short period of time. And the Bible says he was tempted of the devil 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was hungered. So what is the enemy trying to do? He's tempting him, trying to get him, you know, to sin, to miss it, and and to fall down and worship him, one of the temptations, he said. And let me say this. Is it a sin to be tempted? See, a lot of people don't want to answer that. (laughs) Well, Jesus, the Bible said, was without sin. He was tempted in all points, yet without sin. So it's not a sin to be tempted. I mean, Jesus was tempted to do everything that we were tempted to do. I know a lot of people think, no, you know, Pastor, I've been tempted to do a lot of crazy stuff. The Bible said Jesus was tempted at all points, yet without sin. So it's only a, a, it's not a sin to be tempted, but only when you yield to it does it become a sin. So that means that I can resist temptation. That means I can say no, and I can say no, and I can say no again. Amen. Just like Jesus. And so the Bible says, though, that Jesus, at the end of that time, I want you to listen to what Luke chapter 4 says. Notice what Luke says about Jesus coming out. Luke 4 verse 14. And Jesus... Well, look in verse 13. And when the devil had ended all the temptation. You know what? If you resist temptation, at some point, there's going to be an end to the temptation. There's an end. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says there's no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. God will not suffer you to be tempted above what you're able See, you know what a lot of people do? They say, well, you know, just like the Bible says, you know, God won't put more on you than what you can take. That's not what that says. It says he will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above what you're able, but will, with the temptation, make a way of escape. What does that mean? That means there's a way out. That way out may mean just like Joseph did. He took off and ran. There's sometimes you just need to run. You know what? Hey, I shouldn't be in here right now. Let me just take off. Hey, you know, may, maybe you, you, you went with some people and you said, you know what? Man, I sure for, I, I got to go. You know, I got to go to work tomorrow. And, you know, I need to be. But you know what? It, people might call you all kinds, prude. They might call you all kinds of things. But at least you know that, hey, I didn't sin. You know, I got to go home and clean, you know. Just get out of there. Just run. Just like. Just like Joseph did. But here's the thing. 
What is the reason that he tempted Jesus? Just like us, why does he tempt us so much? He hates us, but there's, there's a, is it just so he can say, well, you goody, goody, you, you know, you, you missed it and you, you sinned. No, there's something that's more precious and something he, he is scared of. And it's, it's called uh, the anointing. What is the anointing? It's the, the tangible presence of God. Now we see when, when Jesus ministered to people, we see at times where he said he cast out spirits by the finger of God. I just like to, you know, my brother and I used to make paper footballs and, you know, we'd lay on the floor and kick them, you know, thump them at the end of the room. I know that's, <laughs> you know, I think about that. that that's what the, the, the Lord did to Satan, what Jesus did. He just, with the finger of God. People think, oh, man, he just really had to, no, he just thumped him. That's what he did when he cast out devils. So, but what the enemy is afraid of is the anointing. So, how does the anointing function? How does the anointing function? What element does it need to give it firepower? Us, but it needs my faith. Faith is what activates the anointing. The anointing is inert. It just is dormant unless you add mixed faith with it. The, the Bible says in, there in Hebrews, it said, it did not profit them not being mixed with faith. So you can have a whole heart full of, of faith and you can have anointing, but if you don't mix it together, what's going to happen? Nothing. And so here's, here's where the enemy is, what he's scared of. He's scared of that anointing. So you know what destroys faith is condemnation. Why does he want us to sin? Because he wants us to feel that guilt, and he wants us to be in condemnation. Condemnation is the confidence killer, and you will be no match for him because you will have no, nothing to mix with that anointing, and there would be no burdens removed, no yokes destroyed. So, and you may say, well, I've already sinned. Well, I'll give you some better news. 1 John 1, 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does that mean? He, he takes the un off of righteousness. Now I'm righteous again. Now I can lift up my head. Now I can pray. I can minister. I can deal with the enemy as though I never, ever made a mistake. Well, you know, I know what you did. I plead innocent by the blood. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. So that's, he's not scared of you as a person. But he is scared of you because of the anointing that you carry. <laughs> I, I know one minister, he has a, a message on that. He said, he, he was talking about how, and, and I can see, you can see it through the Bible, but that the people, uh, certain things that the enemy comes after them, it's, it's all because of the calling. And it's all because that anointing that's on their life. So that's why he tempts us. But see, when the anointing is mixed with faith, there's going to be burdens removed and yokes destroyed. So all through the years, we see that the enemy has tried to weaken the church. And all of this is by design. I don't care if you're talking about the Frankfurt School of Theology. I don't care if you're talking about other seminaries that the, that the enemy has used. What he's tried to do is alleviate the supernatural. Why? Antichrist. Yeah. So we're talking about the Antichrist spirit in the world today. Yeah. So what has he tried to do? He's tried to infiltrate, and, and you can talk about even through the Rockefellers, through the Carnegies, where they, they paid big money for, for certain things to be taught in Bible colleges, in Bible schools, yeah. by design. Yeah. That's why you don't want to ever take any money from the government. Amen. A lot of churches took these PPE loans. And, and you know what? <laughs> They're probably going to have to pay them back. And I'm talking about people that took 3 and $4 million. Like my pastor said, we don't want any pee from them. That's right. You don't want anything from the government. Ronald Reagan, he got this quote on my phone. And it said, the, 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 
the worst words that an American can hear is, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. <laughs> we don't want their help. So, what are we talking about? We're talking about things like removing the virgin birth. Removing the supernatural. You know, if we don't have the supernatural, we don't have real Christianity. Amen. Amen. To remove the power of God. So what's he try to do? He, he tries to have churches with no presence of God. So the answer is the gospel. I want you to look at uh, Romans chapter 1. See, that, that spirit is in the world today. I mean, we can see that all through the, the um, ministry of Jesus. When they tried to shut Jesus down. But Romans 1, verse 15. So as much as it's in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So what was he saying? Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel of Christ, what is that? The good news. The good news of Christ. I'm not ashamed of it. Why did he say that? Because obviously there was some temptation for him to be ashamed, to back down. What did Paul tell Timothy? He said, I, I know that, that, that the faith that you have, he said, because I noticed it in your mother and your grandmother, and I perceive is in you also. And he said, don't, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. For God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Hallelujah. So the answer is the gospel. And the gospel is the power of God. Can you say hallelujah? hallelujah. Over in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. See, this is so important. First Thessalonians chapter 1 in verse 5. Paul says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. So Paul says, Our gospel didn't just come in word. It's not just in letter only, but it's also in power. It's in power in the Holy Ghost. What is the devil afraid of? He's afraid of the Holy Ghost. And when we operate in the Holy Ghost, because that, that's what breaks the burden, that's what destroys the yoke. And we look at here. See, people think a lot of times, well, you know, we'll just give them the word. Well, we need the word, but the Holy Spirit comes to confirm the word. So he said, we didn't just come in word only, but in power and in the Holy Ghost. And I believe just like the Bible says, talking about those that are born of the Spirit, he said, you don't even know which way the wind blows. He says, such are those that are born of the Spirit. And I believe that the, the devils, there should be like, in hell every day. Up there, they're up again. Up there awake. Why? Because the devil doesn't know what we're going to do. <laughs> Hallelujah. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Here's what the Bible, look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Got a couple more goodies here for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul said this. He said, and I, brethren, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. 
For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men. But, you know, that, that's what, you know, we're not here to just impress you with our vocabulary. We're not here to just impress you with, oh boy, that was just a nice talk. A lot of times in church, church circles, that's all it was, was a talk. Nothing, nothing happened. No, no power revealed. He says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That your faith should stand in the power of God. I want to read this. This is so powerful from the Amplified. Make sure if you get a copy of the Amplified, get the Amplified Classic. Because they've changed some things and watered some things down in the, in the regular Amplified. Like 2018 or something, or 15. So get, make sure you get the 1987 version, you'll be fine. <laughs> but 1 Corinthians, listen to the Amplified says. As for myself, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony and evidence or a mystery in secret of God concerning what he has done through Christ and the salvation of men in lofty words of eloquence or human philosophy and wisdom. That's just verse 1. <laughs> for I resolved to know nothing, to be acquainted with nothing, to make a display of the knowledge of nothing, and to be conscious of nothing among you except Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and him crucified. And I was in, passing to a state of weakness and fear, dread, and great trembling after I had come among you. And my language and my message were not set forth in persuasive, enticing and plausible words of wisdom, but they were in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power, a proof by the Spirit and power of God operating on me and stirring in the minds of my hearers the most holy emotions, and thus persuading them. Hallelujah. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Hallelujah. You know, some people, some people don't understand the joy of the Lord, breaking out in services. You know, they call it holy laughter. I like to call it the joy of the Lord. And people get caught and taken up with that. But the Bible says right there, stirring into me the most holy emotions. So when God touches you, there should be a reaction. You know, being a stoic is, is not, you know, people think, well, the more somber I can look, you know, I must be honoring God. I just want to be reverent. You know what being reverent means? It means that you honor God. If the Lord leads you to laugh, then you laugh. If the Lord leads you to shout, if he leads you to cry, then you honor him. That's what being reverent is. Hallelujah. So he says that my faith and that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men. So what, what should happen with all preaching and hearing the word of God? Our faith should not be in that person. Our faith should be in the one who, who anointed them. It should be in, in him, that are the, not just the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Why? Because that power is what destroys the yoke of bondage. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. I just had a couple moments, a few minutes ago, I had a pop-up, like a pop-up toaster. And uh, I want you to look, look what, um, we quoted this a few minutes ago, but look at 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. This know also that in the last days, perilous or hard times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, proud, boasters, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures 
more than lovers of God. So, so what do we see? We see that today. People love pleasure more than they love God. See, the Lord, he wants us to have things, but things should not possess us. You know, when you see something that, 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 that you, it's like I heard a man of God say this. He said he, he had uh, believed God and the Lord gave him this, this, this car, and nice car. And he said, you know, I believe in taking care of stuff. And um, he said, so he was in his third hour of detailing. And this had gone on and on, you know, over a period of time. And he said, finally, he said, I was in the third hour of detailing. The Lord said, son, if you don't spend so much time on this car, he said, I'm going to regret that I'll let you have it. He said, I dropped, he said, I've called you to do other things and you can have someone help you with this. He said, I dropped the rag immediately. <laughs> Why? Because it was taking too much of his time. It was taking too much of his focus. And not that it was maybe an idol to him, but it, it just, some things can just take too much of your focus. But notice what he says here. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. So what, what's he talking about here? He's talking about the end times. The times we're living right now, he's talking about what's going on. He says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. He says, from such, turn away. So, why do we need the power of God? Because that's our answer against the enemy. It's against that spirit of Antichrist. Hallelujah. And then uh, turn over to 1 John 4. We'll finish with this. This was actually my text. I don't think I ever read it. We didn't read 1 John 4, did we? (laughs) This was my text that I never got to. Beloved, he says, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are going out into the world. Notice he links false prophets and wrong spirits together. We believe in the real. We believe in real prophets. But he said there's many false prophets. Hereby know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come. And even now already is it in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So the enemy, he's not afraid of us as a, as a person, but of what we carry. When we have the anointing, that's why I'm not ashamed of the anointing. Because people that, that mock the anointing, they need the anointing too. And they're going to be left high and dry. And the enemy's going to hold high carnival in their life if they don't respond to him. But he says, and, I, and I've said this before, that's my genealogy, verse 4. I am of God. Why? Because greater is he that is in you. Who's he talking about? Who's the greater one? Jesus, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the anointing is greater is he, the Holy Spirit, that's in me than he that is in the world. Who is the he that's in the world? The devil. So the Holy Spirit within me is greater than the devils in the world. The Holy Ghost That's why Smith Wigglesworth said this. He said, I'm a thousand times bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. You know, when you first hear that, you think, a thousand times bigger on the inside, I think I would burst. But no, on the inside, there's there's no end to the capacity that you can be full. You know, the Bible said there was a man full of 2,000 demons. So if he can be full of 2,000 demons, we can be full and, and overflowing with the Holy Ghost. But see, that's what, that's what the devil, 
That's why he, he does it like, that's why he'll mock and say, oh, that's just a tongue-talking church. Yes, we are. Well, they're just a Bible-believing, Bible-thumping, you know, just, you know, let them say whatever. They're just a name it and claim it, frame it, blab it, grab it, confess it, possess it. Amen. Yes, we are. You know what the opposite of confess it, possess it is, is shut up and do without. <laughs> Hallelujah. But I believe that, that as a church and as the, the church universal, we need a demonstration of the power of God. You know, the only demonstration pe- some people know is holding a sign. And, you know, picketing. Demonstrating, you know, that, we, hey, we don't like this. But no, we're talking about a demonstration a confirmation, of the, um, it said there in the Amplified, a proof of the power of God. Hallelujah. Amen. So we need a demonstration of the power of God. Stay with the anointing. Stay with the anointing. Stay close to the anointing. That's why we need Holy Ghost and fire. Holy Ghost and fire. You know, Sometimes if, if you see, you know, we've seen this through the years, but if you, if you see people that, like our pastor says, they get up and go to the bathroom seven times, they move around the sanctuary four times, then there's something wrong. Now we know people can have a bladder infection. We understand that. I know UTIs are not nice. But maybe there's a reason people are, are, are trying to move around. Amen. And so what happens is we just, when we get to that place, we just say, Lord, deal with that. Because we either, you know, when, when things, it's just like a metal. You know, when you, you're, 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 you have that thing and it's, it's so hot. What happens is they, they scrape the impurities off of it. But see, what happens is impurities can come to the top of the surface, the surface and we say, Lord, I want to keep that. And you know what the Lord says? Okay. He'll let you keep it. And then you're in another Holy Ghost meeting and the fire, uh, hey, I want to take that. I want to scrape that off. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. You know, that's what happened in the book of Revelation. The, the Laodicean church. And they said, Lord, you know, we, we've got everything we need. And the Lord said, you don't even realize that you're blind, wretched, and naked. And you say you have need of nothing. It's like, you know, sometimes you, you, you give an altar call. I'm okay. I'll, I'll be all right, you know. I'll just stay right here. You know, that is that's pride. I don't know about you, but I need the Lord to work on me. We used to sing a song, operate on me, dear Lord. Take out what shouldn't be. Why? Nothing, nothing in our life is sacred and holy in the sense that the Lord can't touch it. Nothing in my heart. You know, sometimes we reserve certain parts to ourselves. Just true, right? You, you can, and I've endeavored to, to let the Lord in every part of my life. But we don't want to hold any part and say, Lord, don't touch that part. Because, you know, that's mine. That's my pain. I want it. I want that pain. Why? Because some people like that because it gives them attention. You know, I, I like my pain. I like my, you know, I, I like feeling bad. I like feeling guilty. And I just, that's what people do. They hold on to it. Amen. But the Lord wants to set the captives free. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So always press in for the anointing. Yeah. And always embrace the anointing. Because the anointing removes the burden and destroys the yoke. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you today. Lord, for your anointing, for your burden removing, yoke destroying power. Lord, we just thank you that that anointing, the Bible says that anointing abides within us. So, Lord, we thank you for your anointing. 
Even now, Lord, that anointing that teaches us, that anointing that leads us, that anointing that teaches us how to be a good husband or wife, that anointing that teaches us how to be a good worker and a, and a, a co-worker and a boss. And Lord, every area of life, it teaches us how to be a, a friend to those around us. That anointing teaches us how to do everything. Lord, that anointing even teaches us how to cook. That anointing teaches us how to do things in the yard. That anointing teaches us how to do everything that we need in life. And that anointing, Lord, is to set people free. We thank you for that anointing now. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, for your anointing. Lord, let your anointing right now just fall on each head. Let your anointing, Lord, just fall. Just reach your hands up. Just receive. Just receive right now. Thank you, Lord, for the anointing. It's the anointing. The Holy Ghost from heaven. Hallelujah. If you'll yield to him and respond to him, and you'll let him have his way, he'll manifest himself in this place. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your anointing. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, sometimes we, the flesh is so antsy and the flesh wants to move to the next thing, but sometimes you just have to wait on the Lord and just rest in his presence. Not always be doing something. But just wait, wait on the Lord. Be still and know that I am God, the Bible says. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we just thank you for your anointing today. Lord, I pray that even as, we, as, a, as a, a group of people, Lord, that we would hunger after the anointing. That we would hunger after you. We would hunger after the anointing. Lord, we know that the anointing is spiritual equipment for the job, for the task. And we just thank you for that anointing right now. Thank you for your anointing. Just begin to thank him. Just begin to thank him right now. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for your anointing. Thank you, Lord, for your anointing. Thank you, Lord, for the anointing. Lord, that sets free.